I think we'll start with Mark 3, 19 to 30 on page 11. Uh, we, are, we are making some progress, though it's slow. And that's the last one on, on this page 11, if you have your handout. Mark 3, 19 to 30. And, uh, Ed, would you read, uh, uh, why don't you start with 22? And read through the 30? Read through 29. Okay. 20, 22 to 29. And the scribes which came down from Jerusalem said, He hath Belzebub, and by the prince of devils casteth he out devils. He called them unto him, and sent unto them in parables, How can Satan cast out Satan? <laughs> and if a kingdom be divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. And if a house be divided against itself, that, that house cannot stand. And if Satan rises up against himself and be divided, he cannot stand but hath an end. No man can enter into a strong man's house and spoil his goods, except he will first bind the strong man, and then he will spoil his house. Verily I say unto you, All sins shall be forgiven unto the sons of men, and the blasphemies wherewith soever they shall blaspheme. But he that shall blaspheme against the Holy Ghost hath never forgiven us, but is in danger of eternal damnation. I guess go ahead and read 30. Because they said, He hath an unclean spirit. We discussed this actually in Matthew, but a different group, so maybe a different slant. What is what is uh, a house divided against itself have to do with blaspheming the Holy Spirit? Well, I would think like families that uh, have arguments within <coughs> the members, it's more difficult for them to pay attention to let the Holy Spirit work with them and help resolve the issues. Okay, so a house, you're thinking of literally a house divided against itself can't, 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 uh, can't listen out. to the Holy Spirit. Right, they can't listen to the Holy Spirit. And, can't, and they have a really difficult time trying to resolve the issues. They're not responding to what the Holy Spirit would help them with. But it's, it's pretty strong. Whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will never be forgiven. So is that... A- Dealing a little bit with worship, maybe uh, the way they worshipped, perhaps. Well, if you I mean, look at if you look at the context, the Spirit, it's pretty. Yeah. It's to deny God, right? What it, what is what is it they're saying in verse twenty two? That that Jesus is from oh. Beelzebub, from Satan. Yeah, he's casting out demons by means of Beelzebub. So, is it talking about that if we? If we take a good work that, that maybe the church is doing or that the people of God are doing and then go against it, is that what it's talking about? It does seem to be kind of specific to that, doesn't mm-hmm. it? You, you actually judge what someone is doing for God and that mm-hmm. the Holy Spirit is leading them to do. You judge that as from, da- from Satan. Because mm-hmm. yeah, I guess you can't take a look at this as thinking, because they didn't think that he was God at that moment. So they can't be denying God. I guess you can't be sinning against denying. But so no. So what Jesus is not Jesus is not saying if you if you deny that I'm God, yeah, uh, then this is going to take place. He's saying uh, I'm doing these works by the Holy Spirit, and if you say that I'm doing them by Beelzebul, 
you've cut yourself off from the only source that can save you. But there must be some contraction going on because the previous verse talked about he's chosen the twelve, and then it goes into well coming from. You notice verse fifteen. He gave the disciples authority to drive out demons. Right. So if if he lets this stand, that there, uh, if he lets it stand that that what they've said is true, if he doesn't counter it, if he doesn't address it, then the disciples from here on out are going to have difficulty in their ministry. And the whole, the division is going to be even harder to deal with. So he has to address it. Uh, and he also has to warn them for their sakes that they're on dangerous ground. This is, this is where a highly uh, Pharisaic, we, we call it Pharisaic for a reason. The Pharisees are kind of the you might say, uh, the prototypes <laughs> of, of all the critics that have ever lived in the, in, among God's people. Mm-hmm. We were just talking before class about people, difficult people in congregations. And, and a lot of times those, criti- those difficult people derail because they get hypercritical of other people. Yeah. And they start judging other people as evil, as bad. And because they they say something they disagree with, or because they do something they disagree with, uh, and and they become so uh, so focused on them and their evil ways that they actually go down this trajectory and start suggesting that these people are demonic. Uh, and when when that happens, unless a person is caught before they go cross the line where there's no return over. It isn't that God arbitrarily sets up a, ton, uh, a line and says, you cross that line and you're done. I won't forgive you. It, it isn't about that. It is that up here in our heads, there is a line that we can cross where we can't return. We can't go back. That, that's extremely dangerous, you know, um, that whole critical attitude. You know, it really opens the door to Satan or the demonic. I have a minister that helped me. We as a student older than I led me to Christ, and and he got into that mode. And he's one of the few I know that he lost everything, lost his ministry position, and he started his own critical, mm-hmm. you know... A self-supporting you know, critical ministry. Yeah, and he finally, every, he actually thought he was going to lose his life, you know, to... That got so... Powerful and overt, and then he finally, and he's the one of the few that says, You know, that is what drug me down that road. I started getting critical mm-hmm. and opening that door, and it just, you know, had that that uh, slippery slide. That, and he finally recognized it, rehabilitated, he's pastoring right now. And he's a great guy, great pastor, but he got caught in that. That's road. amazing because that rarely happens. Rarely happens. It reminds me of two things. Um, one, when I was here in college, it became popular to get rebaptized, and those who were getting rebaptized thought everybody should be rebaptized. And uh, they found a statement by Ellen White that was taken totally out of context. 
that said, unless you repent and are rebaptized, you can never enter the kingdom of heaven or something oh, along those lines. And they started using this on everybody. And I, this was back in the days before every, the White Estate had published everything. So you keep, I mean, now you could just type in the key words in that statement and you could bring up, bring up the whole context and see what it is. But back then you couldn't do that. So uh, I sat on that statement. I, I, it was fear-based pressure. It was, you know, just not godly in my opinion. Uh, so I sat on it until I was in graduate school at Loma Linda. And I went to the heritage room and I said, is there a way I could get a hold of the rest of the statement? They said, sure, write to the white estate, ask them for it, and they'll send. They'll do a manuscript release. And this is how the manuscript releases came into being as people writing in and asking for context. So I did that. And back came this manuscript. The whole thing, it was a sermon that she preached at the Oakland Church. And it was to people who were critical, overbearing, <laughs> backbiting. <laughs> the big sins. The big sins, right? <laughs> um, and she said, unless you repent and are rebaptized, you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. And she gave an altar call at the end, and nobody, nobody would respond in that church. I mean, that's how bad it was. Wow. They just, wow. it was like cement. <laughs> would not break. You look at the ways, the things that Satan holds on, when you, like when you work with addictions, you work with certain, there's certain things that, that without the overpower of God, which is pretty much everything, but you did, that's a big one. It's really hard to break that critical thing, just like you... You have an evil well, and it's especially it's especially hard if you're part of a group that does this, and 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 it feeds on one another. And I used to witness this uh, years ago here at PUC. Uh, there was a certain group of faculty who engaged in this kind of activity on Sabbath afternoons, and I would see them out walking uh, out back. And one day, I got invited over to. Uh, one of the faculty members' homes when they had someone else coming in. The air was blue with this tearing down PUCU. It's not doing this right, and it's not doing that right. And it was just, I was like, God forbid if I ever go into this place again, you know, if this is what's going to take place. Uh, but um, So it seems like the pastors have to be better prepared then to deal with this. I think they need to preach against it. I think they need to open it up. Well, and, and, and be more upfront about what's going on. So there's yeah. so much behind the closed doors conversations going on. But the scribes, they weren't saying anything against the disciples then. They were, talk, they were slandering Christ. He had to deal with this. Yeah. Like you say, he had to deal yeah. with it. But not just for you the know, disciples. He had to deal with it. You know, the greater context of this is in the first part of chapter 3 that we dealt with last week. Jesus is confronted by a man with a withered hand in the synagogue on Sabbath morning. And, and, and I pointed out last week that none of his Sabbath healings were emergency cases. All of them could have waited until Sunday. Uh, and so here he is with this, this situation and he says, stretch out your hand. And, of course, they're all, they're just ready to devour him. I mean, they're, they're on this critical mode. And you, you're going to break the, break the Sabbath by healing this man. 
And so Jesus asks, which is legal on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? Mm-hmm. They remain silent. <laughs> because he knows that this critical attitude leads to trying to destroy a person. Either to kill them psychologically or even physically. Yeah. And, and so then he heals them. And it says in verse 6 that the Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Rhodians how they might kill Jesus. I mean, which is better to do good or do on the Sabbath, which is legal. And they just, they just openly fulfilled this. In 5, it talks that Christ was angry. But notice the next word. Right. He's being grieved. grieved. Right. That's the nature of his anger. Right. Uh, yeah. This, uh, but what, wouldn't it kind of stir you a bit? Well, to I'm think that like here is the Sabbath, which is a memorial creation of God's creative power to restore and to give life, and you go about killing people on the Sabbath so, or I deny guess them. Better. What I was relating to is like some. Well, a lot of my experience in the Adventist churches is that the pastors, at least up front, are trying to be so kind and loving and stuff, and I don't. Well, I think they're doing a lot of how to be nice to each other sermons now instead of. Mm-hmm. Depth sermons, but you know I haven't seen the pastors in front of the conversation show that sort of anger of being grieved about what's going on in the con- congregation. It, it's like it's not being dealt with, so not openly. A, a and and you know, house. you know the reason for that is you're going to be met at the door or in yeah. your study by one of the critics right. who will tear you apart. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So the pastor needs preparation how to deal with that. This is a good class for me because uh, I didn't quit my job to do uh, kumbaya sermons. You know what I mean? I want to. I want to get. I want to preach God's message and and deal with problems so the church can be a better church. Number one, if I study this content, I'm ready to preach it. That means I'm a better person already. You know what I mean? I'm I'm learning to be a better person, and if I can transmit it. But that's, this is a great uh, conversation for me to hear and, 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 to, and to see what the reality is right now. Because I've been in, a, in the Brazilian churches for a while. They, get, they, they stick their fingers in a little bit deeper into people's lives than Americans. Because, just because of the culture, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, not, not to say that there aren't pastors here. I just, I've been, you know, been gone for a little bit. So I haven't really seen the type of sermons that, that you know, you're mentioning. But it, it seems like... You know, like, like I said, I, I, I'm struggling with this personally because I'm thinking, wow, uh, how can I, how can I uh, eventually, you know, when I become a pastor, how can I deal with this? Because I want to say the, 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 you know, just the, the complete you, truth. You, you needed to be here before we started. Uh, there was some very good counsel given where you have to draw very strong boundaries. And you have to say, you cannot be part of this congregation unless X, Y, and Z. Yeah. Um, I'm sure I'll have more conversations like this, but I just wanted to But But, you know, and, until conferences get on board uh, with this, there, there's always the danger that the person will go and misrepresent the whole situation to the conference, mm-hmm. and the pastor just loses his job. Well, one of the best examples... Uh, a friend of mine after 18 years he's back preaching right now but he was a pastor I was a principal at Mount Ellis Academy and Montana is maybe a little more like Brazil okay. we're in your face yeah. <laughs> you know? 
you're a rancher, we just tell the truth the way it is. So there was that, that whole attitude, it was very unsafe. I'm trying to run the, the high school, he's pastor in the church, and this guy is half Native American, uh, one of the most articulate, he had that ability to really intuitive, like often Native Americans. He would hold the boundary and basically preach the same theme of the sermon for like, I remember for like a year. And what he was doing, the way you change behavior, you don't clobber it, you shape it. And so teaching them, say, here's the boundary, God is love, He cares about you, we need to care about each other, and this is how you do it. And it actually shaped and changed that church about triple. But it was so hard, because it was cultural. Yeah. That is the way, well, just slap that kid upside the head and, you know, and it'll straighten out. You get that rough language out of ranchers now, that kind of culture. And, and to come in with Christianity, and, and Jesus is such a master. You hold the boundary, you confront the, That's the, the, issue. the craziness, mm-hmm. but then you show them the love, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, um, yeah. This is really crazy because... This is like a prime example of what's going on in my church right now. Um, I remember one time, um, I guess some people, part of the church wasn't agreeing with how the pastor was dealing with a certain situation, uh, uh, with the church board meetings and everything. And so I guess, I remember remember that day because I believe the pastor's sermon was entitled uh, When to Hold Your Mouth or something like that. Uh, Maybe saying like, you know, you guys shouldn't talk like this. And before he could even preach, I remember one brother got up um, in the middle of the, of the announcements and just started yelling at the pastor from, from the pew. And it was this, this big mess, and they had to, you know, escort him out. And the saddest part was that we had some visitors from, from another church. And uh, it was heard that they said, you know, if this is how Adventists are, I want nothing to do with them. And to, uh, even now... The church is basically divided into two groups, and it's the people that are kind of with the pastor and the people that are against the pastor. And right now, it's like, I mean, this this group that are against the pastor has a lot of influence, so they bring a lot of people into their group, and then of course the pastor has influence, so he has people on his side, and the church is just is just killing itself. And right now, it's it's the pastors, of course, the pastor, but the head elders, the the man who was. You know, stood up a couple of years ago and and just really. So it was the head elder that did that. No, well, now he's the head elder. Oh, he wasn't then. Yeah, he got he, oh, got, no. he got disciplined for. Uh, That's a recipe for disaster. He got disciplined for like a year and everything, but now it's like you know the pastor couldn't even preach uh, a sermon that day when that happened because he was so flustered that you know you can't really speak about God when you have a different kind of attitude in your mind. So. You know, um, we had. A, I want to tell you a story that happened in Tehachapi years ago. My folks were members of this church, and there was a man in the in congregation that just brought in this very dark spirit. Um, he was hypercritical. He was uh, disorderly. He uh, caused all kinds of problems. And he came to church. He didn't come to church regularly, but when he came, it was just a, a really. Be prepared. <laughs> yeah. And and the pastor stood up and he said, you know, I don't feel the right spirit in here. We are going to pray. And he had everybody kneel and he prayed and he prayed specifically that anybody 
who had the wrong spirit would leave. And this man got up and left. Wow. Very powerful. Yeah. And I, I think of that, and I think, you know, this, I think that needs to be part of the training of pastors to, do, to, to learn how to pray and to learn to recognize when they're dealing with uh, the forces. Because we, as Paul says, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. 